Our scripture that was read earlier in your hearing came from the book of Joel, the second chapter, and the 12th through the 14th verses. And it reads as follows. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. It's never too late to change. Sometimes we think we've done so much, we've been forgiven so many times, things have gone so far that there is no hope of ever going back or it's just too late for anything good to happen in our lives. Well, brothers and sisters, it's never too late to change. It is with this thought in mind that I want to preach this morning from a very difficult book, from a subject titled, Yet Even Now. The book of Joel is a very difficult book to understand. If you've ever spent any time reading that book, you will quickly come to realize that it seems like it's just about judgment and we're not quite sure why God is doing the things that he is doing. The book begins with a plague of locusts that is now coming down on the nation of Israel in anticipation of something called the Day of the Lord. This day of the Lord is the final judgment of God that he would have on his people, even the people of Israel, the apple of his eye. What do you do when you are God's favored and yet God himself is raining down judgment upon you? Yet even in God's mercy, he calls for the people to not simply sit idly by and to wait for his inevitable wrath, but instead he's calling the people to repent. This repentance, we are told in the text, is not like any other kind of repentance. It's not a superficial type of repentance. He's saying not just simply tear your garments, which is how the, 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 the Jews used to show that they are in pain. They would simply rip their robes. This kind of repentance that God is looking for is not just a rending of the garment or a tearing of the garment, but instead a tearing and a searing of the heart. This is a different kind of repentance that God is looking for from a people that he has been blessing over and over and over again. God has given these people a land with milk and honey. He has poured out his blessings. He has kept their enemies away. And what you do when you are prosperous is you forget your God. And God has gotten to the point where he's just a little upset 
right now. And so he's now moving out of the way and he's sending now this army of devastation and destruction. But before he does that, he sends the prophet Joel to give the people one more warning. And he says, repent, not just rending your garment, but rending your hearts. In other words, as Paul talks about it, the Apostle Paul says, it's not no longer a circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of the heart. Now, I know that many of you here, you know what it's like to come to church and to give your offerings and to do all the wonderful churchy things, but your heart sometimes could be very far from God. This is not a judgment on anyone. This is simply saying that sometimes the vicissitudes of life, the challenges that we face in life can be so debilitating that even when you want to do the right thing, something interferes with your ability to be all that God has called you to be. What do you do when you feel like God is not on your side? What do you do when you feel like, you know, I've done everything that God has asked me to do, but somehow it seems like the people who are not even thinking about God seems to be the one getting all the blessings in the world. Why is it that for those who claim the faith, why is it that for those who will stand for righteousness sake seems to be the one that feels the hardest pain and burden? Something seems to be different about how God treats those whom he loves. But not only is Joel calling for a full and deep, heartfelt repentance, he's also calling for the repentance to come from everyone. If you read the text carefully, Joel is not simply saying, hey, church people, y'all need to repent. That's not what Joel is doing. Joel is even saying, listen, I don't care if you're just about ready to get married. I don't care if you are just about ready to go to war. I don't care if you are the pastor in the pulpit. I don't care if you are the singing team and the worship team. I don't care if you're the ushers who are ushering. I don't care who you are. Joel is saying, this is so bad that every single person needs to repent. And to top it off, in verse 14, it says, it says, who knows? whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord. In other words, who knows if even after we have repented, even after we have done the things that God has asked, who knows if God is even going to open up the windows of heaven and pour us out blessings we do not have room to receive. Now, I really want you to get the picture of what's going on here. Because very often we read these Bible texts and we think that it's back then. But it's very applicable to what's going on in our lives today. Now here's how the book of Joel begins. And I want to set the stage for your understanding. It says, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. He says, hear this, you elders. Listen, all you who live in the land. Here's what Joel says. Listen carefully. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation in other words have you ever seen things become so bad has your parents or your parents parents 
ever seen anything like this? Listen, Joel is saying, listen, it's going to be so bad that you need to tell your children's children to tell it to their children's grandchildren. This is what the devastation looks like, Joel says. And it goes on in verse 4. It says, what the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Total and complete devastation. And, 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 and he says, have you ever seen anything this bad? To give you a real picture, we need to, to understand what devastation really looks like. You need to look no further than the book of Job. The Bible tells us in the book of Job, now on the day, hear carefully, listen to devastation. Now on the day when his sons, meaning Job, and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. A messenger came to Job and said, Hey, Job, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Hey, Job, fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While that one was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While that one was still speaking, Another also came and said, Job, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they all died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, the Bible tells us, and he shaved, tore his robe. He, he rent his robe and he shaved his head. He fell to the ground and he worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all of this, Job did not sin and he did not blame God. Now, as one was speaking, devastation and devastation and devastation was coming on Job. Now, if that were not enough, the Bible tells us in Job, the second chapter in the seventh through the tenth verse, it says, Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sores and boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job was in such pain in his body that it said he took a scraper and started to scrape his body. Can you imagine sores and boils from the bottom of your foot that's itching and scratching and all day long Job is sitting among the ashes scraping himself. Now this was a prosperous man. This was a wealthy man. He had lots of things going for him. He had cattle and he had sheep. He had servants. He had his children. They were all prosperous and in one sudden 
one sitting, all of what Job had worked hard for was completely gone and devastated. And then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not also accept adversity? And in all this, Job did not sin from his lips. Brothers and sisters, I want to paint the picture for you because it's very easy for us to sit in our own lives and to look at our own situations and our own circumstances thinking that devastation is what's going on in our lives. And I'm telling you, you ain't seen devastation yet as I prayed for us. I said, Lord, I pray and thank you for how you have blessed us, how you have covered us, how you have watched over us. I prayed that prayer, but I want you to know, I want you to know that I also prayed, thank you, God, for the things that you kept away. First, you lost your income. Then you lost your house and your possessions. Then you lost your friends and your support system. Then you lost your family. And if that were not enough, you find that your health and your body has become sickly and now you are now dependent on other people to help you even to get to the bathroom. Brothers and sisters, I'm talking about devastation. Now we're talking about it on a personal level, but what does God do when you look at a nation like the United States of America that God has blessed over the years, yes, they have done great things, but they've also done evil things that they have not repented for. But God pours out his blessing that we may be a blessing to the other nations. But what have we done? We have become arrogant in ourselves. We think that we have all that and a bag of chips. We don't need anybody else. And oh, by the way, I'm going to make America great again. Wait a second, brother. You need to understand that you can't make anything great. For there's only one that's great, and that is God and God alone. So when pride and arrogance shows its ugly head, we know which God that is. But we know that our God is a vengeful God. But he's also a gracious God. A patient God. And sometimes God will put up with your own foolishness. You I'm talking to even here in the church. Sometimes we think that we are entitled to and deserving of something from God. But brothers and sisters, believe me when I tell you, thanks be to God that we have a God that is patient enough to wait on you in your mess. For grace is sufficient for all. But listen, there comes a time where after the grace comes the judgment. And when the judgment comes, it's the wrath of God. And God himself is not a man that he should lie. And so therefore the rain falls on both the just and on the unjust. But do understand that there is something that God wants to get through to you. So after all this devastation, you now have nothing to show for all your years of hard, dedicated work to keep your life and your dignity intact. You lost everything simply because of circumstances that were even beyond your very control. It's no wonder Job's wife would say, why don't you just curse God and die? Who is this God that you're serving so hard every day, every Sunday, every weekday, you at the church doing this, doing that for God? Wait a second now. Be very careful for the God that you're serving and the God that you're dealing with is the same God that's going to be there when devastation comes knocking on your door.
Have you ever been there? To the place where you just want to curse God and die. The place of complete defeat, devastation, sick and tired of being sick and tired. I've had enough. Have you been there? Now here is the real question. If you knew that all the things that we talk about that's happening and getting ready to happen in your life, if you knew that the devastation was going to come to your doorstep a week from today, and God said to you, I need you to repent, would you? Well. If, if, would you believe the prophet or the person that God sends that came to tell you that devastation like you've never seen before that you need to tell your children's 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 grandchildren was lurking at your door and it's going to be so bad would you but you need to repent would you still repent if the prophet of God told you that there is a day of the Lord coming that judgment day is on its way would you repent this is where Job finds himself with these people that think that all of the things that Job is talking about ain't gonna happen to me so I don't need to take a stock of my life I don't need to come to Sunday morning meditation and reflect on how good God has been to me I can go about doing my business living my life the way but God is sending his messenger to tell you that listen I have my patience is running low judgment will come and the Bible even instructs us let's be clear that judgment will begin at the house of the Lord. Well, family, I don't know what you're hearing in this message yet, but I came to tell you, me, standing right here, judgment day is coming. It is coming. Now, it may not be the gnawing locusts. It may not be the swarming locusts. It may not be the creeping locust. It may not even be the stripping locust, but it might as well be. For as we take a look all around us in this world and we pay close attention to the signs that we see, we see the unemployment locust. We see the high interest rate credit card locust. We see the H1N1 virus locust. We see the gun violence in schools locust. We see the California wildfire and the global warming locust. We see the police brutality locust. You name it, all of these locusts, they are just the first round. They are just the first round. There are three other more dangerous locusts waiting their turn to take over. Brothers and sisters, judgment day is coming. There is a, there is a devastation coming like you ain't never seen before. Tell it to your children's children's grandchildren because it is coming. Here's my point. At the time that Joel was trying to let the people know that devastation is about to befall them, the people remained hard of hearing and chose to continue in their sinful ways. So what I need you to hear today, because I'm not a doom and gloom preacher. I just tell you how bad it is so that I can tell you how good it's going to get. You see, 
you got to understand something. That what I need you to understand and hear this morning is that every single person in this room, you're looking for restoration and blessing in your life. Would you agree? Yes, I'm looking for restoration and blessing in my life. Every one of us is looking for God to open up the windows of heaven and the angels go, hallelujah. You're looking for God to, to just do something miraculous in our lives. We've made some mistakes in the past. We've fallen down, but we're looking for God to kind of fix it. I know that you bought some things that you shouldn't have really bought, and you run your credit all the way up, right? I'm talking to myself. And you run your credit all the way up, and now you're in some place that you wish you kind of like, well, did I really need it that bad? But now you're stuck, and you're like, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. But what you want to do is God to just come and wipe it all away. We, 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 well, 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 Andrea's saying, return it. I didn't hear that part of the vision. I just hear God forgive me. Do something miraculous so I can keep it. But I love you, Lord. But you understand what I'm saying? We've made some poor choices in our lives. We've made some mistakes that we wish we could take back. And for, all of, for many of us, it may not be material things, but it could be in some relationships. We have some friends and some brothers and sisters that we have not been, or spouses, that we have not really been the best that we ought to be. Parents that we have not really been the best, we haven't been the best children we could be. And as parents, we haven't been the best parents that we could be. We've all been there. We've all made mistakes. And we're looking for God to just do a restorative work in our lives and to reset us and to give us another chance. We, we really would love God to do that. But I want you to understand, every person is looking for restoration and blessing. But here is the message of Joel that I want you to get. Restoration and blessing in any one of our lives is never going to come separate and apart from judgment and then repentance. You see, you got to pay the piper. But then the thing about it is, is that we've messed up so bad that if we were to make restitution, we probably wouldn't live long enough to enjoy the blessing that comes. But repentance comes after the judgment. So the question becomes, wait a second, God. You're asking us to repent. But at the same time, you're going to judge us. He's like, yeah, I am a just God. I need your repentance. But you understand that you got to pay for what you have done. But God, that's not fair. That's not fair. He says, no, I am a just God. I am the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You need me to be a just and fair and faithful God. But God, I can't make restitution for all that I have done. Well, when we think that way, we never repent. Thinking that it's pointless. Makes no sense. Why even bother repenting of all of my sins if I'm going to face the judgment anyway? This makes perfect sense. So most people... Don't repent because they just love what they do and they don't want to give it up. Let's be real. Some people just, I like what I got going on and I ain't going to repent. <laughs> Let's be honest. Some people. I ain't saying you, nobody in here. I'm just saying. But some people, it's because their hearts are filled with their own sense of their own self-righteousness. Some people think that I'm good enough already. I don't need God. I'm a good person. I live good with my neighbors. I give the beggar on the street a dollar when he asks. I'm a good person. Some people believe that they are that good. Well, no need to repent. But for some people, it's a simple fact that they love evil. 
That's just another reason. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul says. But because, and I don't know who needs to hear this, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath is coming when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Here's what I want you to see because Joel is talking to these people and he's saying, listen, the bad stuff is coming, but you need to repent. The people say, we don't need to repent. We got it going on. We're good enough as it is. But, but, but Paul is coming along, not then, but he's saying to us, he's saying, listen, you can take that attitude, but understand that what you're doing is you're just making God a little bit more upset, a little more angry, and you're adding on to it. And while you're getting away, while you did this and no one saw, and you think you got away with it, I'm telling you that God is not forgetting anything. And so you're storing up wrath upon wrath upon wrath. And one day, one day, God's judgment will be revealed. In other words, God's judgment is inevitable. It is coming. But sometimes that warning is not enough to drive people towards repentance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, I gave you a bunch of reasons why people don't repent. And I'm going to hurry along. But, but I do want to make this point. All of the reasons I gave you why people don't repent is true. But for most people, the singular reason why most people do not come to God in repentance is because of one word, something called shame. Shame. These are feelings that are associated with public failure public exposure, disgrace, embarrassment, social rejection, ridicule, and dishonor. Back in the day, there was a time where when you are ashamed, you go and you hide, and you don't want anyone to see you because of shame. Shame will keep people sitting in the pews and not coming and recognizing and coming forward and giving their heart to the Lord because they say, people are watching me, and everybody knows my business. Shame keeps people from getting into the blessing of God. Shame is a thing that keeps people from seeking the repentance and the help that they need. When I was talking to you before, when I did the invitation of prayer, I was intentional and deliberate in my words. What did I say? You don't ask for help because you're weak. You ask for help because you want to remain strong. Maybe I need to say you need to repent and do not hold on to shame. There is no shame in this church. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you where you've been. Doesn't even matter what has been done to you. I am telling you, this church is a no judgment zone. And we are opening the door so that you can find the peace and the grace that God has for you. But I want you to understand. That it costs something for you to have that kind of access. It costs something. But we live today in a shameless society. You walk around today and you don't, you don't take much to see that people have no shame. There was a time when shame used to cause you to act right. You don't want to go certain places and behave certain ways because of shame. So you behaved yourself appropriately. But today, shame is no longer something that is keeping people to act right. <laughs> you don't need to look further. Now, now listen, I understand culture. 
and I understand trends, and I understand fads. Now, I see the guys, young men and women, wearing their pants down their backsides. Okay. I think it's actually kind of cool. Didn't think I would say that, did you? Yeah, it's actually cool in a certain way. Like, if it's just, you know, below, and you kind of walk because you want a little bit of swag. But when you start to show your dirty underwear, where it's all the way down here, and you're walking, and you can't even walk, it's saying something about the culture. That shame is no longer a deterrent. The President of the United States publicly berates his own cabinet and his own administration officials, and he has made a spectacle of these people, and he ridicules even people with disabilities. You've seen it on TV. Shame is no longer a deterrent. He apologizes for nothing, and in fact, in fact, when wrong, he attacks. But it's not just the president. We have a Congress that is unashamed, unashamed to propose legislation that eliminates health concerns and issues of people while at the same time making certain that they have the best health care that you can possibly get. That's shameful. How can you elect me to a position to take care of you and, and, and I want the best for me and you have the worst? Shame would have stopped that in some way, shape, or form. But, but, but even further, why do you think it's taken this United States such a long time to atone and apologize for slavery? Where they have become great on the backs of free labor? Something is wrong. You, shame no longer makes people feel like it's, it's, it's a bad thing to take advantage of someone else. There was a time where you wouldn't want to take advantage of someone else. But we live in a shameless society. Let me bring it down your street. Shame in this church can take on a whole different look. When we come to the church to give our tithes and our offerings, right? People come and they give their tithes and their offerings. It's often a time of deep shame in the church. We don't talk about this too much, but I want to make sure that you understand that we're real in this church. Here's what I mean by a time of deep shame. Many of you give in the offering. But many of you really would like to give more than you do give. And somehow you feel a sense of guilt when you're giving just a little, knowing you really could and should give more. But on the other side, you're feeling pressure because the things in your life aren't going as well as you would like them to. Because when you don't have a job and you don't have income coming in and your bills are much higher than what you're able to meet, you want to do that, but you also want to do this, but you can't do it because of that. Are you with me? And so you're feeling pressure. I'm talking the truth. It's not that you're bad people. You want to do more for the church, but you kind of can't. And so you give something to ease the shame. Just a little bit. You see... <laughs> Here's what Joel says. He says, mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her young. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord, and the priests are in mourning. Here's what's happening. When the people have become subject to the pressures and the problems of life, the first place that feels it is the house of God. Yeah. 
The church does not get what it needs to be there for the people because the people are struggling and suffering. And so Joel is telling us that because the people are no, listen, their crops are gone. Their sheep are gone. Their stuff is gone. They're, they're in unemployment. They've got problems. They can't do for the church what they really would like. And the priest wants to be there for the people, but he can't. So the priests are mourning. And you see pastors and leaders, we come begging the people, give something to the church, not because we want it, but because we want to be a blessing. So here's my point. Don't miss my point. What God has instructed. He says, Pastor Joel, tell the people that yet even now, when things are falling apart, repent. If they repent, I'm going to bless them, and this will be a sign to you, Pastor. When the people start to bless the house, you know that I'm in the neighborhood because I'm blessing them so they can bless the house. You see, we're not telling you to do something that you can't do. We're saying repent so God can fix that, so he can fix this the only reason why the only reason why pastors would be calling on to you is because we're saying listen every Sunday what do I do Eve every Sunday we say the altar of the Lord is open pray come give your heart to the Lord it's the place of repentance because I know that if the people repent God is going to turn he's going to bless them and when he does that how I will know how I will know, how I will stay encouraged is when the people start to bless the house. Because I'm not in your house. I'm not in your home. I pray for you every day. I pray for you that God will give you what you need. And the only way that I will know that God is blessing you is not, is either you're going to tell me, which you don't do. Because most people only come to the pastor when their lives are falling apart. When people are getting blessed, ain't nobody come and say, Pastor, I got a praise report. The Lord just blessed me. Because you think if you come and tell me that, I'm going to say, well then, you need to bless the house. That ain't what I'm going to tell you. If you come to me and tell me that the Lord is blessing you right now, it's going to bring joy to my heart. Because it means that if God is blessing you, he's about to bless your neighbor. And if he's going to bless your neighbor, your neighbor is going to bless another neighbor. And another neighbor. And that would be a sign to me that my prayers are not in vain. Church. <laughs> Church. I don't know if you all understand this, this message. But we got to a PK in the house, Denisha Mitchell over there, so she understands. Her father used to be in this pulpit. And guess what? Somebody else's father going to be in this pulpit another day. I don't know when that is. I pray it's no time soon. But here's the point that I'm making. God is in the pulpit. And as long as we continue to exalt his holy name, then he's going to bring down his blessings upon you. And I'm going to see what's happening in your lives. That's why I pray for you. 
This is what Joel is telling you, that yet even now, when you have made all those mistakes, yet even now, when things are falling apart in your lives, yet even now, when you can't make ends meet, yet even now, when you can't even find a job, yet even now, Joel is saying, repent, he's coming. Things have gone so bad in your life that you think that it can't change. But it's never too late to change. Because yet, even now, the Lord says, watch, he says, yet even now, declares the Lord. Return to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning and rend your heart, not your shirt, not your garments. Now return to the Lord, your God. Now here's the reason why. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. As I get ready to close this message, here's what I want to say to you. I told you before that God is a just God. That Judgment is coming, whether we are ready for it, believing it or not, it is coming. And yes, you can repent, and judgment still comes to you. God is a just God. Hear me clearly, church. If you did something wrong, you're going to pay for it. That's God's economy, period. You did something you ain't got no business doing, God's going to hold you accountable. That is a rule in the Bible, and it ain't going nowhere. Nowhere. But he says, repent. Turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Here is the gospel, brothers and sisters. You deserve what's coming to you. You're going to get it. There's no way around it. You messed up, and you're going to pay for it. But God is compassionate. God is full of grace. God is slow to anger. And look at that word, loving kindness. It's a Hebrew word that goes chesed. And what chesed means is that it is offering you love without any expectation of any return. So what God does, and what Joel wants us to see, and what Reverend Marriott is telling you today, is that if you repent, the judgment that is imminent, the Lord Jesus Christ himself will take it upon himself and pay for it on your behalf. He's saying, if you repent, I made a way that will save you from the judgment because God is a just God and he must repay every evil that was done. And so he says, I'm not going to let you pay for it. I'm going to pay for it myself. And so he went to Calvary's cross and 
Remember what I told you about the reason why most people don't repent is because of shame? So what they tried to do is they tried to shame him. So they spit in his face. They slapped him around. They put a blindfold on him, and as they were beating him, they wanted him to tell them who's hitting them if he is such a prophet. They dragged him through the streets. And if you read the Gospel of Matthew, it'll tell you that they tore off his clothes and exposed him. Put on a robe on him and a crown of thorns around his head. And he whispered and cried not a word. Shame. Then they said, you know what? Give me back my robe. So they took back all the robe off of him after they beat him so badly. And they put on his old clothes back on him again. And then to make matters worse, they said, listen, we're going to shame you even more. We're not even going to carry your cross for you. You're going to carry it yourself. Swollen and beaten. Bruised and abused. Naked. And as he's dragging this cross through Jerusalem, people are spitting at him, mocking him. The very people I always tell you, he healed their own brothers and sisters. The height of ingratitude. And then they nailed him to this cross. Put him up high, which is the heights of shame. So that the whole world can see this display of this man who did them no wrong. And just as he was ready to breathe his last breath. Some of the most beautiful words you could ever hear in all of scripture. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He took the punishment because Joel is clear. Judgment is coming. But I love in the 17th chapter... As it gets down to the end of the... And, and read, the, read the book of Joel for yourself. The people were asking, Where is your God? Where is your God now? The same question that they're asking you today. You're going through so much in your life that is really hard. You have not told some people some of the things that's going on in your life. So I'm telling you, I understand that you've got challenges. And sometimes not only the people who are around you are saying, where is your God now? You're sometimes even asking yourself the same question. Where is my God? And as Jesus hung on the cross, they looked at him and they go, where is your God now? But in the 17th chapter in the book of Joel, as I close, here's what it says. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, Weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery. See, what they didn't know is that as Jesus hung on that rugged cross, he was hanging between the vestibule and the altar. His shame became God's shame. And he took it all on himself for us. But what's more than that, the Bible tells us, that when Jesus gave up the ghost, I hope you see this church because this is going to bless somebody. The Bible tells us that when Jesus died, right? Right, Ken? When Jesus died and gave up the ghost, the Bible tells us that the veil of the temple was rent, ripped 
from top to bottom. The temple veil being ripped from top to bottom was symbolic of the body of Christ being torn. The Bible says, Joel says, rend your heart, not your garments. Right there is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ when he rent his heart for you and for me. That is the body of Christ. And his repentance paid the way for everyone who would ever come after him seeking the Lord. That is the gospel. That is the gracious gift that is offered to every person who hears this message. You don't have to work as hard for restoration and blessing in your life. Judgment comes before the repentance, but the judgment has already been paid for in full. And you are now free to walk in the grace of God. That's the beauty of the gospel. And it's available to every person. So, I don't know what you hear today, but this is good news for me. This is good news. This is letting me know that Jesus Christ did what he said he would do, and he is abounding in loving kindness, relenting of evil. He is compassionate, and he is graceful, and he is slow to anger, and he has forgiven you already. Everyone standing at this time.